the Christian life, the Christian life is a battle. It is a battle. And if you guys are taking down notes, the title of this message is, are you ready for the battle? Are you ready for the battle? That's the title of the message this evening. I think a lot of the time, what's up, dude? I think a lot of the time the Christian life is painted in a false representation of what actually takes place when you walk with Jesus. I think there's a false representation sometimes. Uh, a lot of the time, there are a lot of weird ideas that get thrown out about the Christians, uh, about the Christian life. And what, one of the weirdest ideas that comes to my mind is the prosperity gospel. Who here has ever heard of the prosperity gospel? Raise your hand. Okay, well, this is, a, this is a weird doctrine. And this doctrine is opposite of what the Bible really says. Okay, and this is a big thing in our, in our country, in the, in the American Christian church. It teaches that if you become a Christian, basically, if you become a Christian, you'll get whatever you want. You'll get your favorite car, you'll get your dream house, your dream man or woman, and that your life will be perfect. That's the prosperity gospel. The idea that God exists to bless you. God exists to bless you, but that's not the case. I think, and the Bible is very clear when you read the Bible, that our walks with God will not always be easy. Who here thinks their walk with Jesus is easy? You almost raised your hand. It's a hard question. But it's not. A lot of the time it's difficult. Think about what Jesus said. Check this out. Think about what Jesus said in John 15, 18. Jesus said, if the world hates you, he's talking about his disciples. He's talking to them. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Wow. The world hating believers? That doesn't sound... That doesn't sound like the Christian life being easy. That doesn't sound like the picture we just heard painted with regards to the the, the prosperity gospel, does it? Guys, if we're going to be like Christ, if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, here's a huge newsflash. The world is going to hate you. (laughs) The world's going to hate you. Here in America, we have it pretty easy. We have it pretty easy, thank God. But what about in other countries in the world? I mean, think about it. It's a different picture. What about ISIS? Who here has been following ISIS on the news in Africa, in Egypt, and in the Middle East? Well, newsflash, just so you guys can pop your bubble here. They're beheading Christians. They're executing Christians. What about the church in in China, the underground church, facing major persecution? Okay, the other world, different picture. But in our American society, it can seem like it's pretty easy. In our American culture, it can seem like God exists for us. But we see it in the scriptures that, that it's not, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. And guess what? Here's an even bigger newsflash. Not only does the world hate us, but Satan hates us. He hates God. He hates God's children. <laughs> he does. So why do I say all of this? Why do I bring all of this up? I'm not saying it to depress you. I'm not. I'm not trying to bum you out. I'm not trying to freak any of you out. I'm not trying to depress you at all. So please do not misunderstand me. I don't want you to feel like you can't be a Christian because that's not the case. Or that you don't want to be a Christian because the world's going to hate you and Satan hates you. And yeah, that sounds kind of lame. Maybe even a little bit scary. I say these things Because it's this very issue that Paul is addressing here in Ephesians 6. He's urging the church in Ephesus to get ready for battle. He's urging the Ephesian people to put the armor of God on. Which implies that the Christian walk, the Christian life is going to be 
a battle. Paul is fully aware of the war that rages in any Christian's life. And he's writing to the Ephesian church to encourage them to look to God for strength, to look to God for victory. So I'm talking about life being a battle. Talking about life being a battle. Talking about the Christian life being a war. The title of the message is, are you ready for the battle? Why am I talking about this? Why, Why do I keep talking about a war? And guess what? How do we battle as Christians? This is a question I want to ask you. It's a rhetorical question. Keep this in mind. How do we fight? How do we win? How do we experience victory? How? Well, we're going to be dissecting this passage of scripture. We got 10 verses to dissect and they're powerful in their content and they give us the answers. Here's my first point tonight. I want to address Christians look to God for victory. Simple, right? Christians look to God for victory. Look back with me at verses 10 through 13. Okay, look back with me at verses 10 through 13. Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day at having done all to stand. If you look at verses 10 and 11, we learn that our strength is in the Lord. We see that Paul is saying to be strong in the Lord. And the answer to how we are strong in the Lord comes in verse 11, when Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. So in these two verses, verses 10 and 11, we see the source for our strength in life. We see our weaponry for fighting the battle. Where is our strength coming from? It's it's coming from God. It's coming from God's strength. And God has given us this strength in the armor of God. We talked about, we talked about the battle of life. We talked about the Christian life being a battle and how the world viewed Jesus, which, which if we live the lives of influence that we are called to, if we are the Christians that we are called to guys, the world's going to view us the same way they viewed Jesus. They crucified him. They didn't like him. Listen, when soldiers are out on the battlefield fighting, when they're out there fighting, they have a strategy, right? They know what they're doing. They got a game plan. They better because it's warfare and they're talking about real stuff. It's life or death for a soldier, but they have a strategy. They know the weaknesses of their enemy. They know the hit points. They know the areas of the army that are weak, right? They know how to attack and when to attack. And most importantly for a soldier, and this is most important, they know where to retreat if the battle becomes too difficult. They know where to retreat. They know where to run to. Just like a soldier, it's the same for us as Christians. The same thing. We need to be aware of what to do in all scenarios of an all-out spiritual war, of an all-out spiritual battle. In the battle of life, it's important to understand where our source of strength comes from and where we fall back from safety, right? Just like a soldier. They got to know that. Just for a Christian, we need to know where our energy, our, our strength comes from in this battle. Because Paul is writing and he's saying, guys, look, like there is a battle going on. There's warfare going on. You're not battling against flesh and blood. 
You're, you're battling against principalities, powers of darkness. You're battling against Satan. So it's important for Christians to know where their strength comes from, where their refuge is, where their protection is. But I have another question to ask you. Who's our enemy? Who is our enemy? That's going to bring me to point number two. As Christians, we battle against darkness. We battle against evil. Look at verse 12 with me. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul tells us here in verse 12 that we do not battle flesh and blood. We're not fighting people. That's not where our war is. We're not fighting people. No, it's much more serious than that. Our war is against Satan. It's against, it's against Satan. Now that, that, that may sound extreme to some of you here. It may, but it all boils down to this. Okay. Our battle in life is against Satan. It's against Lucifer. It's plain and simple. Our fights against the ruler of darkness, against the ruler of all flesh, the epitome of flesh and sin, Satan, Satan himself. The Bible says that Satan, Satan walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Who here has heard that before? Right? Satan walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now that's not meant to scare you guys. It's not. And we'll get to that later, why it's not meant to scare you guys. That, but that is meant to help you guys understand that, that there's a serious battle going on. That a lot of the times, life is deeper, it's bigger than what we really see, than what we really perceive with our own eyes, or what we feel with our emotions. And I want to give you guys an important insight, and something that I want you guys to understand. And let this be an encouragement to you. But also, let it be a warning to help strengthen you. Satan knows he's going to lose. Satan knows that he's going to lose. Can anyone tell me why Satan knows he's going to lose? Don't be shy. I'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Satan knows he's going to lose because of a man named Jesus Christ. Because God became flesh and dwelt among us and conquered sin and death on the tree. So, and he rose again from the grave. (laughs) So, Satan knows he's going to lose. But, 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 and this is a big but. (laughs) B-U-T, not (laughs) B-U-T-T. He knows he's going to be conquered someday. But guess what? His number one goal, his number one goal is to mess your life up. His number one goal is to mess with believers. He knows he can't win the ultimate victory, but what he can do is send his little pathetic demons out into the spiritual realm to mess with Christians, to bring you down, to bring depression, to bring anxiety, to bring struggles, to to allow you to fall into sin, to bring temptations. That is Satan's number one goal. He may not win the ultimate victory, but he's going to do everything he can to disturb your walk with Jesus. I promise you. I promise you. He wants to make your life as miserable as possible. 
And I'm not saying this because I'm trying, I'm not trying to depress you. I'm not, but this is important. Paul, it is so important that Paul is closing his letter to the Ephesian church with this central idea about the war that is raging. Here's the thing. Sadly, a lot of Christians, they fight against flesh and blood. They fight against flesh and blood. They forget where the real battle is in the spiritual realm and they fight against flesh and blood. Anything from endless, endless debates and arguments and and like hatred in the heart over like doctrinal issues amongst each other to the horrible crusades that happened centuries and centuries ago in the early Christian church in England. Sadly, we see in history that Christians, they do fight against flesh and blood, but that is not That is not what Jesus is calling us to. And that's not what Paul is writing about. That's not where the battle is. And that's not where our attention should be in the fight of our lives. Because here's the thing. When our attention goes away from where the ultimate battle is fought, where the ultimate battle is, where where the fight is, our lives will begin to go into disorder. When I'm looking to fighting at flesh and blood, when I'm going to argue with you because you view something the way that I don't view it, or there's all these denominations and I don't like a Pentecostal because they're too like over the top outwardly when they worship and they're just weird and oh my gosh, and we're like, we hate them or I can't stand Joel Osteen who teaches the, the prosperity gospel because he smiles too much and he's, uh, he's ritzy and he's a hypocrite. Like that's all anti, that's anti what Jesus wants. That's anti. And by the way, this has been a huge conviction in my own life because what I, you know, what I used to do is I used to go on YouTube and look up all these things about people mocking the church, Christians mocking church. That is, oh my gosh, that leaves Jesus heartbroken. That's not what he wants. He doesn't want the battle. You know, he doesn't want us to be raging against flesh and blood. He wants us to understand where the battle is supposed to be fought. And listen, what the idea that, that Paul is writing in Ephesians is very similar to his writing when he's talking to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 4, Paul writes something very similar. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, so we are flesh, right? Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Notice what he says. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in what? Mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. It's in Jesus. It's in God. Okay. Our enemies are principalities. It's talked about here in verse 12. Principalities against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What the heck does that mean? What is a principality? I don't, I I didn't understand, but let me break it down for you in a simple way. Paul is using a variety of terms here to describe our enemy. And what we learn by these terms he's using Okay, is that we should take our enemy very seriously because they're organized. We should, we should recognize them and regard them, our enemies and our enemy, as being a part of many different ranks, several different ranks and levels. You have rulers, you have principalities, you have uh, hosts, uh, you know, all these things show us 
that they're organized, okay? That there are different levels. So it's, it, it's serious. It increases the level of seriousness for us. Yet, even though they may be in different ranks, there may be rulers, there may be subparts, right? And this is a whole different talk. We could go on this tangent, but I just want to help you guys break this down. There may be different levels and ranks, but there's, there's one overall goal. And that overall goal is to knock a Christian down from their place of standing in the Lord. It's to knock a Christian down, to bring discouragement, to bring depression, to bring doubt, to bring fear. That's their overall goal and many more. They're going to try to knock you down. They're going to try and knock you down. Verse 13 says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Jesus wants you standing. He wants you strong and firm in his foundation. The enemy is going to try to knock you off that. It's important to understand. So the war is raging. So is our enemy. So what can we do? What's our response? What's the answer? Point number three, if you're jotting down notes, our answer is to be equipped, put on the armor of God, be equipped, put on the armor of God. Guys, I'm stoked about this. This is where we get to the best part of the passage. This is where we get to the best part of the passage. We've seen how Paul maps out the fact that we are in a fight. We are in a battle. We are in a war. It's raging. We've seen and talked about how the Christian life is not always easy. We see that our strength comes from God. That was point number one. We talked about how our enemy is darkness. Now we're going to be talking about how to be equipped. And that's by putting on the armor of God. I'm going to remind you of verse 13 again. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We're looking for what's the solution that's going to help me stand in the evil day. What's, what's the answer to give me the strength to stand firm, to have my foundation be set in Jesus Christ? What's the solution? What's the answer? How do I do it? If you have a pen or a highlighter, I recommend, okay, highlighting that word to stand. Okay. We talked about that. The enemy wants us to fall. It's incredibly important to understand. Jesus wants us to stand firm in him. Okay. Look with me at verses 14 through 20. Again, we're going to read it again verses 14 through 20. Here's where we're going to find the armor of God. So pay attention right here. Verse 14, stand, therefore stand, therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Here's an important question. What is the armor of God? Who here has ever familiarized themselves with the armor of God? Who's ever heard it? Sunday school, junior high, high school. I'm sure a lot of, I'm sure a lot of us have, right? I have too. But I don't, I don't have it memorized. I don't. 
I don't, I don't have it perfected at all. But, oh, that horse. It's important. Isn't it awesome we get to study the Word of God outside? Who thinks it's awesome? Anyone? I do. It's really cool. There's a fire, the stars, the clouds. It's really cool, right? I feel like we're... Three. I see three. One, two, three. Okay. Bring it back in. We're going to bring it back in. Sorry, I just... That horse got me. So the question, what is the armor of God? Okay, while we dis- okay, while we dissect verses 14 through 20, while we dissect this passage, here's what I want you guys to do for me. Are you guys willing to do something for me? Can you guys, thank you, Justin. Are you guys willing to do something for me? I want you to picture a Roman centurion soldier. Okay, picture this in your head. This is going to help you understand what the armor of God is. Okay, because Paul is using, what, what is Paul using? It's an English term. Analogy. analogy. Paul is using an analogy. He is relating something spiritual, non-physical, to something that is, in fact, physical. Okay? And so, if we want to understand the armor of God, please picture in your heads a Roman centurion soldier. Let's start at verse 14. We're going to find the armor of God. What we got to put on. What are we going to put on? Verse 14. Having girded your waist with truth... Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay. Having girded your waist with truth. What, what does that mean? Okay. This is a lot like the equivalent of putting on a belt. Putting on a belt. Okay. Why is it important to put on a belt? Right. Why is it? Why, why is a belt compared to truth? I'll, I'll answer that one for you. This is why. Think about, think about, don't picture, because this is the weirdest one to picture. Think about what would happen, okay, if a soldier didn't have his pants secure. If his pants were just falling down on his ankles all the time. What's going to happen if I'm in a battle? If I'm like, ah, you know, and I'm like fighting or I'm running from an enemy or something and my pants are falling down around my ankles. What's going to happen? I am going to fall. I'm going to trip. I'm going to stumble. I'm going to eat it, right? The same thing relates to our walk with Christ. The same thing. When we are not surrounding ourselves with God's truth, the truth of his word, we are going to stumble and fall in our walks, in our life. It is a flat out fact. We will find ourselves unequipped for fighting the battle of life. Because the enemy will love to shoot arrows of doubt. When you guys go to college, the enemy is going to want to fire at you disbelief and unbelief and, 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 and these ideas, these warfare, this warfare in the mind, you're going to have classes. If you go to a secular university where you're going to have professors, they're going to tell you that faith is the most illogical, irrational, stupid thing in the world. <clears throat> this is getting, man, the smoke. You're going to, I take a philosophy class, just a simple basic philosophy 100 class. I, I can't tell you how many times, okay, I've had my teacher be like, faith is the stupidest thing ever. Faith, faith, faith. It's like it's a game for them, or it's like they get some type of rise out of it. They love saying that you Christians, people who have faith, anyone that has faith is retarded. It's stupid. It's dumb. They're out of their mind. So, 
when I'm girding myself with truth, when I'm putting on the belt of truth, what I'm doing is I'm, is I'm, I'm protecting myself against tripping and stumbling and falling in my walk with God. I'm able to understand in a broader perspective, the word of God, his view on life, what he thinks about dating, what he thinks about, you know, purity, what he thinks about religion, what, how he views my relationship with him, what he thinks about life. When we are surrounding ourselves with God's word, we are equipping ourselves for battle. We are equipping ourselves to be able to stand firm in our belief in Jesus Christ. So the practical application of putting on the belt of truth is to get into God's word, guys. Get into God's word. I know for a lot of you, you do. And I, I'm going to I'm just going to be here, the, the guy to tell you that I'm so happy you are, if you are. And I'm stoked if you are. Praise God. If you read, even if you read a little devotional, this little thing on your phone that takes like two minutes to read. Praise God. Thank Jesus. I'm so proud of you guys, if you are. Because it is so important in the culture, in the day and age we live in, to have the belt of truth around, guys. It's hugely Hugely important. So make it a part of your life. It's crucial. And guys, when we understand God's word, when we make it a part of our lives, we are able to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now this righteousness that Paul is talking about, it's not our own, but it comes from Jesus's work on the cross, his sacrifice for us. At Golgotha, right? the cross. When we understand God's word, we are able to see Jesus's master plan of redemption all throughout the word of God. You see Jesus in Genesis to revelation. He is everywhere. And so when we are understanding God's word, when we're girding ourselves in the belt of truth, we are able to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We are able to understand that our righteousness is not our own, but it's from Jesus. Think about what a breastplate would do. Does anyone have an idea of maybe what a breastplate would do? Why would I put on something that covers me from here to here? Yeah. What is it protecting though? Your vital organs. It's like, whoa. If I get stabbed right here or right here or right here, like that's a hard one to recover from. If I get stabbed in my calf, whatever, like, ouch, and like, you know, but like, if you get stabbed in your kidney, like, good luck, really, good luck. If I get stabbed in my heart, you're done, absolutely done. So a breastplate would guard a soldier's vital organs, and it's the same for a Christian. Our vitality in life lies within understanding the righteousness of Christ and what he has done for us. That's our vitality. When I understand what Jesus did on the cross so that I could stand before him righteous and clean, free from my sin, that is where my vitality in life comes from. We cannot fight the spiritual battle on our own righteousness. We have to depend on Jesus. And it's the same, just like a soldier cannot fight without a breastplate. It's impossible. Okay, look at verse 15 with me. We're going to keep moving. We're talking about a belt and a breastplate. All right, what are we talking about next? And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Oh, shoot. What did I just do? Aaron. Okay, never mind. I got it. Oh, no, I don't. Okay, here we go. I got it. Here we go. <laughs> iPads. 
Sorry, people who are listening on Crossroads.com. <clears throat> that was a shout out. Okay. Okay. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Who here has ever played a competitive sport before? Raise your hand. Yeah. Shout out some sports. What have you played? Baseball. Okay. Soccer, baseball, basketball, chess. Underwater basket weaving. Ooh. Okay. So, so check this out. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree that if you had really, if you were playing soccer, okay, let's just use soccer as an example, or basketball, or soccer, we'll start with soccer. Baseball. Or baseball. Or football. If you have bad cleats, if you have, if you have bad cleats, or maybe shoes that don't fit right, things that are hurting, anything you're doing, anything you're doing, or even your own abilities become useless, right? When I can't run down the soccer field because my cleats don't fit me right or they're too tight or they're like hurting my foot, that's not going to work. I'm not going to be able to play at my highest level, am I? It's the same spiritually for Christians. The gospel provides a firm foundation for the believer. Okay? The gospel provides a firm foundation for the believer. When we understand the gospel clearly... That Jesus came to earth, he lived a perfect life, he died on a cross, he was buried, resurrected three days later. When we understand the gospel clearly, when we understand what Jesus has done for us, it drives us to be active in our faith and share with others, doesn't it? I mean, Crossroads is big with street witnessing. Who here has gone street witnessing before? Isn't the gospel awesome? Right? Guys, the gospel is the most incredible thing to ever have happened in the world. It is, it is amazing. And guess what? It gives us a foundation to stand on. It equips our feet for running the race of Christianity. Paul talks a lot about in his other letters about running the race. Christianity is a race, right? The gospel gives us a firm foundation. And when we have the drive to go and share the gospel with other people, check this out. We're doing exactly the opposite of what Satan wants. When we are sharing the love of Christ, we are literally taking Satan's arrows, his fiery darts, we're throwing them right back at him. We're showing him that he has no power. That Jesus is the victor. Amen? When we are sharing our faith, we are sharing about what Jesus has done for us. John 3.16, we're out there sharing We are literally giving the enemy, like, we're throwing it right back in his face. So verses 14 and 15 tell us armor that we need to have. Armor that we need to have. Armor that we need to carry with us everywhere we go. So what's the armor we've talked about so far? What's the armor we've talked about? We've talked about a belt of truth. We talked about a a breastplate of righteousness. And we've talked about gospel shoes, right? Gospel boots, for a soldier. Okay, things that we need to carry with us everywhere we go. Man, they're looking for me. Okay, check this out. Try try and pay attention. I'll just wait till the, the plane passes over. Okay. So verses 14 and 15 
they, they give us, they outline armor that we need to carry with us everywhere we go, okay? We need to carry a bre- a, a, the, the truth. We need to carry um, the breastplate of righteousness, and we need to have the gospel boots, right, as soldiers, okay? But when we come to verses 16 and 17 here in Ephesians 6, we learn of armor that we must take. Armor that we must take. These attributes of, of spiritual armor are a necessity to take from situation to situation or as the moment demands. Things that we need, like in all scenarios of life, things that we need to take. Think about some of these scenarios. And I'm sure that a lot of you, just by the size of the group, have, have experienced these before. What about a flood of depression or discouragement? Feeling like a black cloud. Maybe when a relatively insignificant thing gets blown just way out of proportion. An opportunity to speak with someone about Jesus, about what Jesus did for you. That's a scenario where you're going to need these things. Opposition against the sense that God wants you to do something, to follow through with something. You're going to need these. What about a set of panic or helplessness? Guys, in those critical moments where there seems to be no answer or no way out, where we can't find the own strength, we need to take the shield of faith, take the helmet of salvation, take the sword of God's word. We're going to talk about those three things a lot faster than we talked about verses 14 and 15. For those of you who are tracking time and want to get into small groups, (laughs) we're almost done. Okay. We need to take the shield of faith, take the helmet of salvation, take the sword of God's word. Okay, a shield. We're going to talk about the shield first, because that's what comes first in the passage of scripture. A shield represents faith here in this passage. Paul is using a shield to represent faith, protecting us from what? From the fiery darts of the wicked one or the persistent efforts of the enemy to weaken a believer through fear and doubt. Life is a battle. There are struggles. Christians, a majority of the time, the thing that they're facing is fear and doubt. Maybe even depression. Well, check this out. My faith in God is a shield to those darts from Satan. My faith and trust in God, my dependency on God is my shield against those things. I'm not talking, and Paul isn't talking about a wimpy shield, okay? He's not talking about, you know, a little shield like this, like, whoop, beep, 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 you know? The size. The size of it, Trevor. Oh, okay. The size. <laughs> Come on. He's not talking about the little wimpy thing that like you're using in hand-to-hand combat, you know, in armor. He's talking about, check this out, by the way, just to give you a little picture of first century warfare. <coughs> Fiery darts were things that were fired at the beginning of a battle, okay? You have people light things on fire. You guys have seen this in movies, right? Okay? And they're like, and like, you have like, 
you know, hundred, few hundred people shooting these arrows up and they're coming down. Okay. Well, guess what? They're firing, you know, they're firing arrows at another infantry and this infantry, if they're going to withstand the fiery darts, they need to have shields that literally cover their entire body and at times even surround them because sometimes they would be surrounded or they'd even be getting flanked at the same time. Okay. So when they'd have these shields, they'd have to hide under these things and it'd have to be surrounded and completely shielded. And that's what faith does for us, for the believer. Faith in God turns the fiery arrows of doubt and fear around. They, it guards us and it fires them back at the enemy. Because here's the thing. When I have faith in God, when I have trust in God, I am going outside of myself. I am leaving myself depending on myself. I'm leaving looking at myself for answers and I'm turning to God. That's what faith is. Faith is trust. Faith is dependency. And that is our shield against the enemy. Okay, what about the helmet? The helmet here, Paul talks about represents salvation. How important is a helmet in warfare? It's pretty important, right? Think about a helmet. What does it protect? <laughs> your brain, your head, your hair. For me, the helmet would just destroy my hair, so I'd rather just fight without it. So I could look like Brad Pitt on, on the battlefield in Fury. Have you guys seen that movie? Okay, I'm not, I don't recommend it, but just to let you guys give you a little story, Sierra and I went and saw that movie. For one of our first movie dates, okay. First of all, it was rated R, which is for me as a as the leader, is, is a bummer, stupid decision for you guys. Like, don't don't take your don't take your girlfriends to a rated R movie, um, especially a war movie, I, any movie that's rated R. Okay. It's a good movie, but it's not a good movie. Okay. So uh, okay. Let's get back on track real quick. Do you guys mind? Do you guys mind if we get back on track? Okay. So a helmet protects the mind. It protects the head, okay? A soldier would be stupid to go into battle without one. Because if you get knocked in the head, okay, you're, you're pretty much useless. It's just like, why, why even try? Just, just go, take a nap. Why even try? 1 Thessalonians 5.8 speaks of the helmet of salvation in connection to the hope of salvation. The helmet of salvation to the hope of salvation. Again, in 1 Thessalonians, we have Paul writing to yet another church in Thessalonica. So these letters we're looking at. And 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says, But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The helmet of salvation protects us against discouragement. The helmet of salvation protects us against the desire to give up. Giving us hope, not only in knowing that we are saved, but that we will be saved. It's the assurance that God will triumph. One of Satan's most effective weapons against us is discouragement, guys. Maybe you felt discouragement before if you've sinned. Maybe you felt bummed out at your own mistakes. 
Well, his greatest weapon is discouragement. But when I put on the helmet of salvation, I'm thinking about salvation. It's right on my head. And when I think about salvation, it's hard to be discouraged. It's hard not to hope in God. When I'm thinking about salvation, what is salvation? Does anyone want to tell me what salvation is? Okay. <laughs> salvation. For being outside and around a fire, you guys are very non-participatory. <laughs> I, if it's not a word, I just made it up. And if it is, I just looked really scholarly. <laughs> Listen. Salvation is, is hope. It's just like salvation is, is, is being saved. It's being rescued. Jesus rescues you from hell. Jesus rescues you from eternal damnation. That's what salvation is. Our salvation and our hope is in Jesus. And so when we think about that, it's, it's, it's hard to get discouraged. It's hard to not hope in something that's, that's bigger than ourselves. It's hard to not look forward to the future because we, we know where our destination is. Amen. We know that we'll be in heaven. So why do I need to be discouraged? And it helps me look to Jesus who gives me the strength to get through things. Okay. Let's talk about the sword sword. A sword represents the word of God here in the passage. Paul's using the sword to represent the word of God. And Paul uses the language of the sword He uses the language of the sword of the spirit, the sword of the spirit, implying that it is the Holy Spirit that inspires the word of God to be used effectively. Okay, it's the sword of the spirit. Guys, the word of God is one of the strongest defenses against the enemy. Think about it. It's mentioned twice here in the armor of God. Do you guys see it? What did we talk about earlier? It was compared to the belt of truth, right? Mm -hmm. Something that we girded, something that kept us from stumbling. And now he's bringing it back. Paul is talking about the word of God again, a second time, only a few verses later in relation to the sword of the spirit. It's only by the Holy Spirit that the word of God can be used effectively. Because I can tell you right now, as we talked about earlier with the, pro, pro, you know, the prosperity gospel, without the Holy Spirit really giving you the correct doctrine, it, you, the word of God can be used ineffectively or inappropriately or opposite of how it was originally intended. But don't miss this. Paul talks about the word of God twice here, emphasizing the importance of it. If Paul is bringing it up twice, wouldn't you guys think that it's important? Who here remembers the story of Jesus being led into the desert by Satan after his baptism? Who here knows that story? Yeah. What happened? 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit. He's led by the Holy Spirit until the wilderness of like Canaan, okay? Which is, just to let you know, is not the most abundant source of land, okay? It's a desert, there's nothing. 
And for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is being tempted by Satan himself. So we're talking about warfare, right? We're talking about the, the Christian walk is a battle. Well, guess what? Here we have a great example of what a battle is looking like in scripture. Satan is tempting Jesus. Who here knows what Jesus's responses were to Satan? What did he use? Scriptures. Yes. He used the word of God. And what did Satan do? He used scripture. But... Satan used scripture without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't using the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. He was contorting it and, and, and twisting it and defiling it. But Jesus, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, was using it effectively. And that is our example. Because guys, let this be an encouragement to you. The greatest resource, one of the greatest resources for a Christian walk is the word of God. I'm telling you right now, it is the word of God. It is the word of God. It is the word of God. I could tell it a thousand times. Every leader in this group will tell you that one of the biggest blessings in their life is the word of God. A lot of students here in this group would tell you that one of the biggest blessings in life is the word of God. You could be going through the hardest time in your life. You could be going through the most warfare you've ever faced. You could be dealing with the worst depression. You could be dealing with suicide. You can be so out of your mind, you don't even want to get out of bed. You can be so disillusioned that you are like struggling with temptation and sin. And I can tell you right now, the number one blessing you will find is the word of God, because it is through the word of God and the Holy Spirit that we can have a direct connection to Jesus Christ, that we can have a direct connection, connection to his strength, to the source of our strength and power in our life. And it's a big deal that Paul brings it up twice in this passage of scripture. So we have the spiritual ammunition to fight, right? We have the armor of God. We've learned about it. You guys know where it's at. It's in Ephesians 6. In closing, I want to end with this last question, okay? But how do we use it? Because you can have this armor. I can have the sword of the spirit. But how do I use it? Maybe some of you guys are thinking that this evening. How do I use the armor of God? Look at me. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> okay, look with me at verses 18 through 20, okay? Oh, man. Grace. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. For me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth and boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. How do we use the armor? How do we stay equipped against the enemy? Guys, by prayer. It says in verse 18, praying always. I love this quote from Martin Luther. Martin Luther led the reformation of the Catholic Church. He saw a lot of corruption. He saw a lot of misdoing. And he led the reformation. You guys have probably learned this about, you know, in history class, right? Yeah? Martin Luther, check this out. Love this quote about prayer. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. This is so true. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Guys, we've, we've just studied a lot. A lot of scripture. We broke down 10 verses. Okay. 
It's a heavy topic, spiritual warfare. It's difficult to understand. Listen, you could understand this passage of scripture inside out. You could know it like the back of your hand. You could have it memorized. You could understand all the metaphors, everything that Paul is trying to say. But if you don't pray over them, if you don't pray through them, then it's completely useless. Notice that Paul says, be watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me. This means that we are called to go to battle for other Christians as well by praying for them, to be a support for others by interceding for them. Guys, and gals, this passage of scripture, okay, is important. So my encouragement to you is to pray, is to understand that to be able to use the armor of God effectively is only made possible through prayer. In closing, I want you guys to hear this, okay? Jesus doesn't expect you to wake up every morning, get out of bed, and say, Armor on! Ignite! Boom! Like a Power Ranger. <laughs> I was in Starbucks this afternoon writing that, and I thought it was, thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't expect you to memorize this inside and out and be like, I'm putting on my belt of truth, Jesus, boom, and my breastplate of righteousness, and my sword of the, the wait, my sword of the spirit of my helmet of style. I don't even know it. I just taught it. It's pathetic. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. His heart is for you to understand. This is what his heart is. His heart is for you to understand that life is a battle. His heart is for you to understand that the battle for your soul is raging hard. And that this battle is impossible to fight by your own power. You're not going to be able to do it. But the good thing is that with God, all things are possible. Check this out. God has won the ultimate victory. God has won the ultimate victory. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Yeah. God has won the ultimate victory. And he gives us the strength to win the individual battles that we face in life. And one of the biggest ways he does this is by the armor of God. He gives us the strength. He is our strength. He is our hope. So there is hope in Jesus. There is strength in Jesus. Maybe for a lot of you guys, you've never experienced any kind of spiritual warfare. Let me tell you something. Satan is going to go after the people that are most effective for Jesus. Because let me give you another sports example. Say you're playing basketball. Basketball is played with five people on the court, right? 
if I'm remembering correctly. Okay, good. Five people on the court. Let's say out of the five people that are on the court, four of them are really good. But there's one guy that's just like does not belong. Or gal that does not belong. Just like total loser, stumbling, tripping all the time, pants are falling down. <laughs> Why would you want to guard the one that's the weakest? Why would you want to battle against the one that's weakest? Score the most points. <laughs> okay, not from an offensive standpoint. Say they're on the offensive and you're on defense. Why would you want to guard him? You would see him or her and think this is pointless. They're not going to do anything, right? Okay, it's the same way with Satan. Because he looks at the believer spectrum. He sees people that are on fire and he sees people that are lukewarm. He's going to go for the people that are on fire. So, that is not motivation for any of you to go and be lukewarm. So do not misunderstand me. I'm saying this because this should be a gut check for your relationship with God. I heard a story of a pastor who said that in times in his life, if his life was starting to feel too easy, if his life was starting to feel too easy, he would start to question his own relationship and devotion with Jesus, where, his, where he was at with his walk with Jesus. It's the same for us. Because if life feels a little bit too easy, I want to leave you guys with this. Start asking yourself, am I being effective for Jesus? Am I putting the armor of God on and going to battle. I read in the one-year Bible today, okay, who here has heard of John the Baptist? I'm telling you, like, another minute and we'll be up. John the Baptist. Hope a lot of you guys have heard of John the Baptist, okay? <laughs> John the Baptist was prophesied about in the Old Testament about coming and preparing the way for Jesus, Jesus' public ministry. John the Baptist was a man. He was a dude for God. He was out there charging, preparing the way for, Je- for Jesus to come. Okay, in that time, in the, in the Galilean region, okay, there was this king named Herod. Who's heard of King Herod before? Check this out. King Herod married his brother's wife. And then her name, her name became Herodias. Okay. Check this out. John the Baptist straight up said to the king, it's unlawful for you to marry her. You are in sin. Repent. Like, cut it out. He was calling for a baptism of repentance. He was being effective for Jesus Christ. I'm telling you this right now. I believe that as we get closer to Jesus' second coming, to his return, because Jesus is coming back someday, he is looking for people like John the Baptist. He is looking for people to prepare the way for his second coming. People who are serious about the Bible. People who are serious about being effective. People who are going to stand up in their schools and say, you know what, man? That's wrong. The way you're treating that girl is wrong. Or women who are going to stand up and say, don't let him treat you like that. That's wrong. Don't don't act like that towards your parents. That's wrong. Don't say that. That's wrong. Don't watch that. That's wrong. It's not legalism. It's not legalism. It's called having standards. It's called being moral. Jesus is looking for those things. 
And in him is the strength to overcome the battles that we face in life. So I want to encourage you guys to stay strong in Jesus. And I want to encourage any of you here who feel that your relationship with Jesus is struggling. Or if your relationship with Jesus is on the rocks. Or maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. To open your heart to him. To understand that in him is fullness of joy. He said that I came that you may have life and have it to the fullness. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't come so that you would have a depressed life. Jesus did not come so that even when you face battles, you would be overcome by them. Jesus came and lived and died for you so that in the battles of life, you could find victory and that you could find a joy deeper, deeper, deeply rooted in your heart. That's why Jesus came. I'm going to pray. We're going to break into small groups. Thank you guys for for being patient. Lord, I thank you for this group of people. I pray, Jesus, you'd go before our our small group discussions. I pray, Lord, you'd be honored and you'd be glorified. I thank you for, Lord, your word. I thank you, Lord, that you give us strength to overcome battles. You you give us strength to to fight, uh, Lord, against the enemy. And I pray, Jesus, you would help my brothers and sisters here, Lord, in this group to understand that, to allow that, Jesus, just to, Lord, seep into their hearts and overwhelm them. Go before the small groups, Lord. I pray you'd speak, and it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.